take your scripture and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. titled my sermon this morning, What Do You Pray For? This question, what do you pray for? Uh, this morning we're going to learn that we're going to see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, prays for the Ephesian church, and as he does so, he gives us three crucial elements which should drive our prayer life, which should drive your prayer life. For your prayer to be effective, it must comprehend the real circumstances and secondly, it must be comprised of the right character. And thirdly, it must contain requisite content. Let me pray for us, and then I will read this section of Scripture. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning. Father, we pray that you would bless this time of preaching of your word. Father, may our time be um, glorifying to you. Father, may we feel the weight of your glory as we consider the words of the Apostle Paul, as we consider your word. In Christ's name, amen. Let me read for you, starting in verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the Lord or the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him i pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Like most of you, I have been monitoring Hurricane Dorian this week as I prepared this sermon. You know, these uh, massive hurricanes make me contemplate how small I truly am. You know, so being an engineer, a, a nerd, I'll say it that way, I did a, a little bit of research on how much energy is released by a hurricane. Now, you probably realize that these tropical cyclones release a whole bunch of energy. There have been people who have tried to measure the amount. And as you might, may expect, there are varying opinions as to how to go about the task. Any way you look at it, hurricanes release a phenomenal amount of energy. According to the Atlantic Oceanographic... Oceanographic I'll get it out in a minute. Oceanographic and meteorologic, Meteorological, that is, laboratory. If we just look at the energy that is generated by the winds. A typical hurricane generates wattage around 1.5 times 10 to the 12th watts. 
Now, that's a whole lot of zeros. That's a big, big number. A whole bunch of light bulbs, if you want to look at it that way. According to HowStuffWorks.com, this energy is equivalent to about half of the total electrical generating capacity on our planet. One hurricane can provide power for half of our planet with just the wind. One single hurricane. But that's not the only energy source in a hurricane, right? You may not realize it, but hurricanes also release energy through the formation of clouds and rain. It takes a huge amount of energy to evaporate the water that it takes to form the hurricane. And as you know, there is a bunch of water that's in a hurricane. Again, according to HowStuffWorks.com, if we crunch the numbers for an average hurricane, we get the gigantic amount of energy of 6.0 times 10 to the 14th watts. This is equivalent to about 200 times the total electrical generating capacity on the planet. NASA says that during the life of a hurricane, a hurricane can expend as much energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs. Just let that sink in. And we're just talking about average hurricanes here. Average hurricanes. Not larger ones like Hurricane Andrew. On Friday night, I sent an email to the church. You may have seen it. I reminded you of the time when Jesus calmed the storm in, in Mark 4. According to that account, Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, and they began to wind down. It actually doesn't say that, does it? It says this. It says that, it, that he rebuked the winds and the waves, and they stopped. All that energy from the wind and the waves came to an immediate halt. Can you imagine the power of the one who can bring all that immense energy to a stop by the power of his word? I can't imagine it either. Let's be honest. And neither could the disciples, as a matter of fact. They were fearful of the storm. The, the boat was capsizing. The boat was going to sink, and they were going to lose their lives. They were fearful of the storm until they realized the power of the one in the boat. And then they were fearful of him. And they said, what sort of man is this? Just this past week, I've been thinking of, of God's power. And I've also been thinking of how small we are in comparison to this world. You know, right now, our world holds around 7.5 billion people. As we have studied Ephesians, we can't miss that Paul wants the Ephesian church to understand the worldwide impact of the church. My question has been, in my feeble mind and heart, my finite thinking, how can we impact this world with so many people in it? It's overwhelming to think of the relative insignificance of the church in terms of numbers compared to our world. Yet I forget that when we pray, we have the power of the one who controls every wave, every puff of wind, who controls everything in this world. He steers the hurricanes. He controls every volcano. He placed the sun, moon, and stars in the sky. So God is so great that he didn't, didn't even bother to give the sun, moon, and stars the name, their names. He said, Moses called them the greater light and the lesser light. And oh, by the way, God made the stars also. 
Beloved, we must be a church who prays to an all-powerful God, to our all-powerful God, who is a personal God, if we're to have any lasting impact on this world. We will not even be able to take the gospel to our own homes if we don't pray. Think about that. How can we expect to have any impact in a world with 7.53 billion souls if we don't pray? You see, Paul understood this. He understood that God works through prayer. Satan has blinded the eyes of this world, and prayer is the only thing that gives us the power to overcome it. That's the reason Satan hates a praying people. He is defenseless against those who pray. John Piper says this, The devil hates prayer. Our own flesh does not naturally love it. Therefore, it does not come full-born and complete and passionate from the womb of our heart. It takes a ever-renewed discipline, end quote. In other words, while Satan hates prayer and while God uses prayer, we don't have an innate desire to pray because of our flesh. We all feel it, right? I know I struggle with it. I struggle with taking time to pray. But we must continually discipline ourselves to prayer, and we must look to the examples of powerful prayer, such as what we see here in Ephesians 1, uh, of apostle, the Apostle Paul's prayer. In, these, in the first few verses of Ephesians, Paul has revealed to the church that, that at, at Ephesus the mysteries of God's plan. The mysteries of God's plan in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He he demonstrates to them the greatness of God's plan in which the gospel will be taken to all the world. Paul wanted to see the gospel go to the heathen world, the pagan Gentiles. Now, I think we miss the impact of this. I think we miss the impact of what Paul is trying to accomplish in taking the good news of Christ to all the, the nations. 1 Thessalonians 1 gives us a little insight into this into this immense task, into the, and into the effect of the gospel on those who hear it. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul reminded the Thessalonians that how, they had, how, how they had received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Their, in other words, their, their reception of the gospel, their reception of Paul and the other missionaries had become stuff of legends. You see, all the churches had heard of their faith in Christ. Paul says this about their visit, about their coming and their response, the, the response to the message. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God to, from idols to serve a living and true God. Beloved, these people turned from their idols, which they could see, touch, and feel. Touch and feel is the same thing, right? But they, they turned from what they could see and what they could, what they could sense with their senses to serve a living and true God whom they could not see. Beloved, that is the definition of faith. That is the definition of true faith. You see, we have, any, we have examples, right? We have examples that we see of people who worship Christ, who worship God in church. And so when we come, it doesn't feel so different. But if you lived in a society that all they did is worship fake idols, right? What would it be to turn now to a God you can't even see? That's true faith. And brethren, my point is that this does not happen without prayer. 
Paul told the Thessalonians in, in, ch in chapter 1, verse 2, that he constantly gives thanks to God for all that God had done with them. He was constantly amazed at what God had done through them and for them, and we should be amazed as well. And we should know that it doesn't come outside of prayer. Now, we've learned that the Ephesian church is the hub and the wheel for Paul's mission to take the gospel to the Gentile world including churches like the one in Thessalonica. Paul understood the, uh, the church at Ephesus. He understood their importance in undertaking this great work. Therefore, he sent this letter to strengthen them and to encourage them in their faith and to, and to strengthen them doctrinally. As part of this encouragement, Paul reminded the church that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. That's verse, chapter 1, verse 9. And he's also revealed his plan to sum up all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. That's verse 10. He has included the church at Ephesus in his grand plan. Beloved, God has included every Christian on this planet in his grand plan. He has included you and me in his plan. And he not only guarantees our salvation, but he also guarantees the effectiveness of our work because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, he shows them that after hearing the message of the gospel, which saved them, God sent his Holy Spirit to, to seal them. And so they're now in securing Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit, and they now can accomplish the task of taking the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles, because of what Christ has done in them. He's also, that is, the Holy Spirit was also, according to verse 14, given as a pledge of what is to come, our full redemption for the, for the world to come. Now, beloved, many of you, many of us here, love science fiction. Because we love to use our imaginations. And I, I'm convinced that God has, I'm convinced that the reason for this is because God has imprinted eternity on our hearts. Therefore, I believe we find enjoyment in exploring our imagination because God has made us for another world. He made us so, that, so much more than we can see or hear today. So much more than we can sense with our senses. Beloved, it is prayer. It is prayer which connects our world to the world to come. In Ephesians 1, 15-23, Paul makes this connection abundantly clear. Paul understood the profound, the profound nature of, of what he had told them in verses 3-14. through And he wanted, and he was, his prayer was that that would be pushed deep into them. He knew ultimately that the Ephesian church, he knew that all Christians would never fully grasp the weighty nature of what God has accomplished in Christ outside of prayer. So in these verses, he launches into an extended prayer for the church at Ephesus, which ought to be, ought to be a model for our own prayer lives. Now let's look at our first point this morning. In this section, we saw earlier, I said earlier, that he gives us three crucial elements which should drive your prayer life. For your prayer to be effective, it must first comprehend the real circumstances. Now, first, first your prayer should have the right foundation in the Word of God. In order to comprehend the real circumstances, your prayer should have the right foundation in the Word of God. Look at the text. Paul writes, For this reason I, too... 
stop right there. This phrase, with this phrase, Paul looks back at, at what he has said about God's activity through Christ in our world. More specifically, he wants the saints at Ephesus to focus on the glorious truth that God has included them in his plan for the redemption of this world. You see, as Christians, we should never miss the fact that God wants us, I mean, that God, that it, say this a different way, we should never miss the fact that we deserve to die in our sins. Yet God has shown us mercy and has revealed to us the mystery of his will. How amazing is that? See, Paul wanted them to understand the, the profundity of the message. He wanted them to understand the, the deep insight of the message of the gospel. You see, they have been given wisdom and knowledge, which exceeds anything that man could ever conjure up in his mind. Man could never have conjured up what Paul has provided to them in in Ephesians chapter 1, what Paul has shown them. Man could never come up with, with this. Man could never understand these things outside of the Holy Spirit giving them great insight. Now, in our modern minds, in our modern minds, we don't completely grasp this, I'm afraid. Just imagine giving the truth to someone who has no grasp on what is true. Again, we have a, a starting point. We are, we're standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. But if you, if you had no grasp of what truth is, and you're just dealing with creation, and someone comes along and gives you the gospel and says, look, this guy, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. This is the truth, and this is what God is doing. This is, this is what God is doing in summing up everything in him. imagine giving that truth to the to the natural man listen to paul's words in corinthians but the natural man verse first corinthians 2 14 but the natural man does not accept the things of the spirit for of god for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised beloved spiritual things are revealed to us by the spirit of god the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But just as, as it is written, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard and, ha and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Beloved, this is what I've been saying to you. God has prepared more than we could ever imagine for those who believe his word more than you and I could ever imagine. And I don't think we appreciate that to the level that it is true. How are these things revealed to us? 1 Corinthians 2.10 For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. Brethren, do you find yourself struggling with spiritual things? Pray that God would reveal them to you in His Word through His Spirit. Pray that God would press them upon you so that you can understand, so that you wouldn't be like the natural man. This is Paul's hope, or this was Paul's hope for the Ephesians. He realized that the only circumstance that will allow them or any other person to understand the truth of the Word of God is for the Holy Spirit to reveal it to them. Beloved, the truth of the Bible is more real than anything else that we can taste, smell, see, touch, or hear in this world. We are so 
we are so dependent upon our senses. We are so dependent upon what we can see, on what we can touch, what we can taste, what we can smell, that we forget that what we can't see is more real than those things. You see, Paul understood man's need for the Holy Spirit to, to recognize this. Not only should your prayer have the right foundation in the Word of God, be rightly informed concerning the saints. Should be rightly informed concerning the saints. Paul goes on to say, look and look at the text. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, for, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Now I, I have there's a, a bit of a textual problem here. The earliest manuscripts do not contain the word love. This word is an addition in the later to later manuscripts. Scribes Scribes probably added the word because of the grammatical difficulty of the The text can be literally translated, having heard among you faith in the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. But faith toward all the saints does not make sense, right? It's not that you couldn't, it's not parallel. You can't say Jesus and faith toward the saints. But, but faith, but uh, but a very similar phrase actually occurs in one four, Colossians one four. That is, in that verse, Paul refers to the Colossians' love for the saints. So in that verse, there's a there is a similar, it's a parallel, but he actually mentions specifically love for the saints. So probably what happened was is that because of the difficulty of the text, the scribes saw Colossians one four and realized that they maybe their parallel passages, so they added the the word love. Now, in that verse, in that verse, we see clearly that the word love is there. If you if you go to Colossians one four, so it's not a stretch then for this to be a, a scribal error, meaning that the word love got dropped as they were as they were scri- uh, use, as they were copying the text. Now, it's a hard call, but I tend to lead toward that it's not there. The word love. I tend to lead toward what would be the harder reading, and which omits the, the word love. Now, it's a hard call. But I believe the answer to this issue lies in the translation of the word faith. This word can be, in the Greek, can be translated faithfulness. So if you could translate this, having heard among you your faithfulness in the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints which would make sense. Now, I believe that this translation would be reinforced when we consider Paul's purpose for writing the letter. In verse 1, Paul had called attention to their faithfulness in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I believe that Paul is playing up, or he's, he's majoring on, their faithfulness because of their importance to the other churches and to the spread of the gospel. You see, Paul understood the circumstances surrounding the church he was aware of all the challenges in the churches and he was concerned for them and he was wanting he wanted to make sure that Ephesus stayed strong so that they could be strong for the other churches we see Paul's heart in this and for in 2nd Corinthians eleven twenty seven, he says this I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such things, there is the daily pressure of me on me, that is, of concern for all the churches. You see, Paul is aware of all that's going on, and he feels the daily pressure of concern for the churches. Now, 
I want you to know, beloved, that this is one of the elements of effective prayer. You must be aware of the circumstances that are facing the people of our church. Too often, too often, we're all disconnected from the life of our church. We, we skate, if we skate in here on Sunday morning and we spend a couple of hours, we can't expect to know what's really impacting our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to make an effort to know what's going on. And that's what Paul is doing, right? Paul, Paul knows what's happening in the churches, and the communication is so much harder then than it is today. Today, we're a text, oh, text away, right? We can instant message somebody right now and find out what they're doing. Hey, brother, what is, what's going on? Hey, sister, how's it going? We, we have that ability. I have a coworker who works so hard, he can struggle to be aware of life around him. He comes up and he says the other day, he says on Thursday, hey, there's a hurricane coming, so the plant will be shut down on Monday. Of course, the plant is shut down because of Labor Day. And he was unaware of that and thought it was because of the storm. Now, that's a lighthearted example of what you might call a lack of situational awareness. On a serious note, we can have a lack of situational awareness when it comes to prayer. We need to be aware of the needs of the saints. We need to understand what's going on in each other's lives. Of course we can't know everything, right? We can't know everything. We don't want to be busybodies. But we must be aware of what we can know. We must be keeping our eyes open and and understanding what's impacting our people. Paul was clearly concerned for the churches. And he was clearly concerned for the church at Ephesus. We need to to be like Paul. Beloved, be attentive to the needs, to the challenges and circumstances facing the saints. Be attentive to the needs of the saints around the world. Here in America, we can be incredibly self-centered, forgetting how our Christian brethren are dealing with great difficulty in other parts of the world. On a practical note, use a prayer list. Write out a prayer list. Use this list to pray for the needs of the saints. Do you know of a need in the church? Pray for it. Write it down and pray for it. I remember being told one time that if you care for something, if something's important to you, you'll track it or you'll write it down. And so if, you're, if it's important to you, if somebody's struggle is important to you, if there's a challenge that's important to you, you will write it down and you will consider it and you'll pray for it. You know of a need in the church? Pray for it. Are you struggling with someone in the church? Pray for them. That's a call to pray for them. Do you see someone struggling with a besetting sin? Don't get upset. Pray. You must make yourself aware of the needs and pray for those needs. Well, we've seen the first of three crucial elements which should drive your prayer life. Your prayer, for your prayer to be effective, it must comprehend the real circumstances. Let's look at our second point. For your prayer to be effective, your prayer must be comprised of the right character. Look at verse 16. Paul says, Paul says, for this reason I too have heard, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you your, and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. First, your prayer should be unceasing. Look at the text. 
Paul says, do not cease giving thanks for you. I do not cease giving thanks for you. Paul understood the necessity of continual contact with God in prayer. Beloved, we are in a constant battle, and we need communication from our central command. Listen to John Piper. He says this, Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. God is more like a general in command central than a butler waiting to bring you another pillow in the den. Of course, he is also father, lover, friend, and physician, shepherd, helper, king, savior, lord, counselor. But in this fallen world with with devils filled, prayer will function best when we keep the frequency tuned to central or command central in the fight of faith, end quote. You see, beloved Paul understood the struggles of this world. He knew that the saints were under unceasing attack. He knew that the churches were under constant pressure from false teachers. In Acts chapter 20, he told the Ephesian elders to be on guard for themselves and for all the flock. Because after his departure, savage wolves would come in and not spare the flock. He said, from among your own selves, men would arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, Paul met this challenge with unceasing prayer and thanksgiving. And verse 16, Paul says that he doesn't cease to give thanks for the Ephesian saints. He's constantly amazed at what God has done and continues to do in the lives of the saints. Beloved, this type of prayer is not limited to super saints like Paul. This is a command for all believers. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul calls all believers to unceasing prayer. So the question is, what characterizes this type of prayer? How can you do this? Well, there are three guidelines to ensure that your prayer is unceasing. First, you must engage in dependent prayer. In other words, you must realize that your dependence is upon God in everything. Realizing that your utter need for God will drive you to conscious acknowledgement of your dependence upon Him. Obviously, we cannot engage in constant spoken prayer. Around constantly speaking to, to the Lord uh, openly but we can have a constant heart of dependence upon Him, which becomes part of who we are. Again, listen to John Piper. He says this, Even when we're not speaking consciously to God, there is a deep, abiding dependence on Him that is woven into the very essence of our faith. In that sense, we are praying. We're experiencing a a spirit of dependence continuously. That And that kind of dis- disposition is, I think, right at the heart of what God creates when he creates a Christian, end quote. Beloved, we must cultivate our sense of dependence upon our Lord. Secondly, you must continually approach God in prayer. This is what, most likely what Paul contends to convey, intends to convey when he says that we should pray without ceasing. James told his readers, But if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, James commands his readers to to continually approach God in prayer. James probably learned this directly from our Lord. 
Uh, in Luke 18, Jesus illustrated this type of prayer through a story of a widow who continually pestered a wicked, wicked judge uh, due to persecution. You see, this judge was unwilling to help her because he was a wicked and evil judge, but she continued to harass him until he finally relented, saying this, Because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming to me, she will wear me out. And our Lord said this, hear what he had to say. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. You see, our God expects us to continually petition him. In Matthew 7, Jesus instructed his disciples this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. You see, God wants us to realize our dependence upon him for everything so that we will continually approach his throne. And he is glorified when we depend upon him and when we continually come to him. Listen to Thomas Watson. Prayer delights God's ear. It melts his heart and opens his hand. God cannot deny a praying soul, end quote. Beloved, you must be a praying soul. You must continually approach God in prayer. And third, you must never give up. You must never give up. Beloved, this ties into the second point. You must continually approach God in prayer and never, ever, ever give up. There will be times when it feels like God is not listening to your prayer. I know that I've prayed for some things for years without ever getting an answer. I still haven't received an answer on those things in, in many cases. Yet I know that God is hearing me. I know that he will not withhold what is good from his saints. Listen to Jesus again in Matthew 7. And, or what, 7, 9, Matthew 7, 9. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will not, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Beloved, your prayer must be unceasing. Must be unceasing. Second, your prayer must be unselfish. Look at the text. Verse 16, Paul says, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I want you to notice the point of Paul's prayers. He doesn't just pray for himself. He continually prays for the saints. We don't, we don't see a lot of examples about, uh, about Paul or where Paul is praying for his ministry, that his ministry will grow. As we look back on Paul's ministry, God clearly used him to change the world, but Paul prayed for other people. He prayed for the saints. He prayed without ceasing for the saints. And God used him to start a revolution. Dwight Moody says this, Every great mo movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. End quote. Do you want your family to change, brethren, beloved? Pray for them. Do you want your husband to grow? you wives, and his love for Christ? Pray for him. Do you want your wife to grow in her love for her family? Pray for her. 
Do you want your church to grow in love for one another and unity? Pray for your church. Pray for those in your church. Do you want to see our church share the gospel in our community? Pray for the lost. Pray for gospel impact. Beloved, there's nothing more powerful than a praying saint. Nothing more powerful. While you should be unselfish in your prayers, you should also understand that this goes both ways. There's nothing more powerful than a Christian who's praying for you. Oswald Chambers says the same thing. Listen to this. There's nothing to be valued more highly than to have people praying for us. God links up his, prayer, his power in answer to their prayers, end quote. Beloved, there's nothing more powerful than a group of Christians who are devoted to praying for one another and devoted to praying for the lost. If you want to be more effective in your prayer, then you need to pray without ceasing and you need to pray unselfishly. These are the marks of effective prayer. We've seen the first two of three crucial elements of effective prayer. Effective prayer must comprehend the real circumstances. Effective prayer must be comprised of the right character. Let's take a look at the third point. Effective prayer must contain the requisite content. Look at the text again. The content of your prayer should be God-exalting. The, con- the content of your prayer should be God-exalting. Look at verse 17. Paul says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul, Paul starts this verse by exalting our Lord. Beloved, according to Paul, the, the source of our salvation is found in the choice of God and the redemption found in Christ Jesus. We are secure in Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We must realize that our salvation is completely according to the sovereign plan of God before the foundation of the world. As such, Paul calls God the Father, the Father of glory. Now, the word glory in the Hebrew language has the idea of weightiness. The idea of weightiness. It's the reflection of the essence of who God is, which presses in on us. There's a a weightiness about God. In this context, Paul reminds them that God has revealed himself in election. He has revealed himself in predestination. He has revealed himself in redemption. He has revealed himself in the revelation of his will will, and in the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And in all these, God God has been brought glory or given glory. Now, these truths that I just mentioned, they press in on us. These truths press in on us and they demand an answer from us. For our prayers to be effective, we must allow the weightiness of God's character as it has been revealed to us to press in on us. I think of Isaiah 6, where God revealed His holiness to the prophet Isaiah. God clearly revealed His glory to Isaiah, who cried out, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Clearly, God's glory pressed in on Isaiah so that he desired to serve God by being a messenger for God to his people. Beloved, God is full of glory. You should have a sense of the weightiness 
of His attributes as they press in upon you. Beloved, this is life-changing. It's life-changing. And this is Paul's desire for the Ephesians, that they would understand who it is that they serve. He wanted them to grow in their knowledge of Him so that their lives would be devoted to it. Beloved, if you, if you allow the weightiness of who God is to impress upon you, to press in on you, it is absolutely life-changing. The things that you found important prior to that, you'll find no longer important. You could gain the whole world, but that wouldn't, would, would pale in comparison to what, who God is and His character. Second, the content of your prayer should be for the progress of the saints. The content of your prayer should be not only God exalting, but for the progress of the saints. Look at the text. Paul writes that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Beloved, Paul wants the, the, the church at Ephesus, the Christians at the church of Ephesus, to grow and mature in Christ. He labors until Christ is fully formed in them. God has revealed the knowledge of His will by His good pleasure. Paul wants them to live according to the great truths which have been revealed. You see, beloved, I'll say it this the same way I said the earlier part about God's glory. These truths, the truths about who God is, they reshape our hearts and our minds so that it is no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. You see, faith in Christ dominates you, and it reshapes us in His image. We who are boastful no longer boast in ourselves, but in Christ who lives in us. He has revealed His wisdom, which leads to life, uh, which leads to life and teaches us how to even live. He's also revealed his mysteries which could have only been unveiled by him. They couldn't have been searched out by any human wisdom. And this can only be imparted to us through the Holy Spirit. Listen again to Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. You see, Paul knew that they had progressed in, in maturity, and he wanted them to excel still more. The, the, they had every advantage of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, but Paul's prayer would, was that they would progress further in the Lord. He wanted them to, to come to understand more and more of what God was doing and see that have a profound change in their lives. That's my hope for you. That you would come to see more and more what, what Christ has done and what Christ is doing so that you might come more and more to worship Him for what He has done in your life and what he's doing in the life of others. Well, we've seen that Paul has given three crucial elements which drive you, should drive your prayer life. Effective prayer must comprehend the real circumstances. Your prayer should have the right foundation in the Word of God. 
Beloved, you should have a deep understanding of, we should have a deep understanding of the ways of God and be committed in our hearts to pray for others according to his word. Second, as we said earlier, our prayer should be rightly informed concerning the saints. Your prayers shouldn't be rote, but they should be, they should be full of petitions for the saints. Make it your aim to pray for others and to know their needs, especially their spiritual needs. And if you happen to know their particular areas of struggle, then pray for that. Pray that God would cause them to grow in Christ, especially in those areas of struggle. The shell of the most hardened can be cracked by the hammer of prayer swung by the feeblest of saints. We also saw that effective prayer must be comprised of the right character. Your prayer should be unceasing. It should be unselfish. And it should contain the, the requisite content. Your prayer must be God-exalting. It must be for the progress of the saints. Let me just say it this way. Beloved, it is not gossip when we tell God, when we tell it to God in our prayers, in our private prayers, that is. Let me end with this. This quote again by John Piper. Prayer remains one of the great and glorious mysteries of the universe that the all-knowing, all-wise, all-sovereign God should ordain to run his world in response to our prayers is mind-boggling. But that is the uniform witness of Scripture. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. Oh, do not neglect this amazing way of influencing nations and movements and institutions and churches and people's hearts, especially your own. End quote. Oh, beloved, that we would be a praying church. That we'd be a church that's committed, committed to prayer. It starts with you, right? It starts in your own prayer time. It starts with you being committed to praying for others. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Again, we pray, I pray that we would be a praying church. That we would be tuned in to you. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would understand that any power that we may possess as a church only comes from you. And only comes in proportion to how much we approach your throne in prayer. May we understand that prayer is our connection from this world to the world to come. Father, may we be a church who is diligent to pray for one another. May we be a church that's diligent to pray for the lost. May we be a church that's diligent to pray for your glory. May we be a church that exalts you in prayer. Father, as we will see in the coming verses, Paul gives you all exaltation, all worship, so God-centered in his prayers. May we model our own prayer after him. We thank you and praise you this morning in Christ's name. Amen.